is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for joining. Jazz Shapers is the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And right alongside them, we also get to hear from someone who's shaping the world of business. Hopefully they're bright and charismatic and they wear gorgeous blue jackets um, and, and the rest of it. We call them business shapers. And luckily, my business shaper today is wearing a fantastic blue jacket and his name is Roger Dove. And Roger is the founder at Roger Parfums and Roger Dove Haute Parfumerie. And of course, my French accent's terrible. Luckily, Roger will be telling you not terrible things all about his business and how he ended up in it very shortly. In addition to hearing from Roger, you'll also be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. Roger, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you are, I, I mean, this is the, the power of the mind. I, can, can you just tell me what you're wearing? I know it sounds ridiculous, but most people that <laughs> I jacket, meet... jacket, shirt, trousers and shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But really, I mean, amazing jewellery... Fabulous jewellery, all Thank sparkly, you. and a lot, and this blue jacket. Which, uh, it, when you look on Twitter and you see the picture at some point, you you will actually uh, learn to appreciate. Roger's just thinking, why is this man telling everyone about my jacket? <laughs> I think um, it's great to have you here, Roger. Thank you. Tell me about why you fell in love with scents and perfumes from a very um, young age. I've my first memory of perfume is uh, my mother coming to give me a kiss good night. Uh, she was dressed to go to a cocktail party or a dinner. I was far too young to know. But um, I think it was not common for women to wear perfume every day. You know, It was something that marked a special occasion. So suddenly my mum's dressed in a gold lame cocktail dress with jewellery, hair done, and the smell of scent. And when she came to kiss me goodnight, uh, I made a connection between this transformation. It was like my mum had been transformed somehow. And what stayed in the room was the, the scent along with the uh, memory of the image. And I've always said I believe that that was the moment that I really was first put on this path that I've walked down. And I used to go into my mum's bedroom, which I knew I shouldn't, um, and open the bottom left-hand drawer of her dressing table where she kept bottles of cologne that a friend of hers bought from Paris. I think she didn't like them because they were always tucked away. But I used to open the box and open the bottle and unscrew it and smell. I, I just became uh, transfixed by perfume never understanding of course that something like a perfumer existed it was just a product mm. a lot of people we, we often don't think of what goes into making something it's just something we see or we buy or we use and so um i i i believe that I, my life was sort of almost pre preordained or predestined that i was supposed to be doing this and this let's just jump right to today before we go back again tell me a bit about your perfumes where they are and and how many different yeah ones so you have so I have I, I launched commercial perfumes in 2011 on July the second. Uh, we launched in Harrods, and we now sell in just short of 200 shops around the world in just over 40 countries. Um, the perfumes are have a very very special fingerprint or factory fingerprint, if you like. Uh, I I was spoilt when I was very young because I grew up. Uh, around the finest raw materials that can exist. So I often say it's a little bit like if you grew up in a world of cashmere, vicuna and silk, suddenly the idea of bry nylon and whatever uh, isn't very appealing. So I was really ruined because I was exposed to the finest materials. So the hallmark of my work, if uh, you want to call it that, is the, the luxury of the raw materials. And I believe very strongly you like with cooking, if you if you don't buy the very best raw materials, you can never make a great dish, however good a cook you might be. 
Um, so they're, they're heavily based on naturals and have very, very complex uh, bases. I don't know if that answers your question. That does answer my questions. And I love, and, and of course, talking to the, perf the perfumery man here, mm. the word olfactory has popped in very early. And that's made me happy. And we're going to come back and talk mm. much more to Roger about all things olfactory um, in a minute. That's Roger Dove, my business shaper today. Lots more coming up from him and how he was influenced from a very young age and seduced by mm. the world of scent. Time for some more music. This is Crazy Butterfly from Nancy Wilson. Thank you. Love the moon. That was Nancy Wilson with Crazy Butterfly. Roger Dove is my business shaper today, talking about smell and the power of smell. And that, that story, as you told me, Roger, about your mother, um, it's a very, it, it's a bit like listening to something and smelling something often more powerful than seeing it, mm -hmm. I think. And this must be right. I, I think one of the things that's interesting with smell that most people don't realize is one of the senses we pay little attention to. Um, but of course we're smelling all the time and the sense of smell never switches off. So when you're asleep, if something happened in your home, which God forbid it ever does, your sense of, sense of smell will work and kick in. The sense of smell is the oldest sense in living organisms. And you don't smell with your nose, you smell with the most primitive part of your brain. It's the only sense which works directly on the brain. And one thing which might be surprising to a lot of your listeners is that psychologically it causes more damage if you lose your sense of smell if you become omnosmic than if you're blinded. And if you said to most people, not that anybody would want to lose a, one of the senses, mm. but most people they, oh, no, lose a sense of smell, but food becomes flavorless. Your partner, when you kiss them, your partner has no smell, so people's libido drops. It's a very, very, it's so potent. Um, and it's only when you make people stop to think about it, they realize, um, yes, I take in a lot about the world through smell. I often say to people, if somebody has a child that goes away to school, a very nice thing to do is to put something in for the child. You know, if they have a child that boards or something, or going away on a holiday abroad first time, put something in with your perfume so they've, they've got the reminder of your, of your smell as their parent. Make them feel safer. Now, if my sources are correct, and you can, you can correct me if they're not, <laughs> this, this young boy of six or seven who was mm. smitten by the, the power of smell went on to not let go and, and continued to be focused on this. And at around the age of 15, 16, you started writing letters. Letters to Guerlain, a very mm -hmm. famous Guerlain, the yes. fashion house and, and, and obviously uh, perfume house, excuse me. I'm mixing mixing houses there but anyway the perfume house and you said you wanted to work for them and you didn't stop until they offered you a job yeah it was um <laughs> that's a bit of a strange thing i think maybe it's a sum of of a time you know with globalization and so on i wonder whether the same story could happen today which maybe it could but um yes i was i was just fascinated with the history of perfumery and I remember when I was about 15, seeing an advertisement that showed some scents, um, and each of them, it had then the name of the scent and the, and the year it was made. And of course, when you're 15, you think somebody who's 17 or 18 is really grown up and 20s ancient. And I suddenly saw these perfumes that were, you know, dates that were 80 years old and 70 years old. And it was the first time it ever occurred to me that, of course, the thing was made one day. And, mm. and I was fascinated. I've always been incredibly curious. I think it's a shame that as we become adult, we forget very basic words like what, why, when, how, all the things children ask. And um, I love learning things. So I became fascinated to suddenly try to find out as much as I could about the history of, of perfumery because it just expands my knowledge. I think that's a, 
a really rather great thing. So yes, I, I ended up learning quite a little bit about that particular company. And one day they said, why don't you give him a job? He'll be less of a nuisance in the house than he is outside of it. Just tell me very briefly about ingredients and okay. why you've been so fascinated okay. with them. So if you take, uh, as with all things, you can buy uh, Shetland wool, comes from a sheep, or you can buy a Super 140 worsted, comes from a sheep. But the skill of a craftsman can transform something to make it more beautiful, more precious. So if you, very simply, if you take in perfumery, something like jasmine, most people will be surprised to hear you need approximately 5 million flowers picked by hand. There's no mechanization. The flower needs to be picked before the sun touches it, because otherwise the yield of oil will diminish. And the best quality jasmine costs around £34,000 a kilo, which is double the price of gold. If it smelt the same as the jasmine that costs £7,000 a kilo, there's no point buying the one for £34,000. Rose, the best rose in the world, comes from the south of France. It's called Rose de May because it flowers in the month of May. It takes around 306,000 flowers picked by hand to make a kilo of the oil. And the entire year's production is less than one day's production of um, Bulgarian rose as an example. So they're commodities. What people forget is these things are commodities. So if you're lucky, as I am, because I own my own firm, that I don't have a, um, an accountant saying, looking at a spreadsheet and saying, what are you doing? So I can use what I like. Um, and these create very, very, very particular effects. So I think that the materials smell luxurious. So therefore, when you wear one of my scents, I think you really can smell expensive. The opposite, the, the, the other end of the <laughs> spectrum is a bit of an ugly, ugly thought. Well, look, make sure that you never, ever smell cheap, is all I will say. <laughs> Stay with me for much more from my brilliant business shaper, Roger Dove, and he does smell incredibly expensive as well as looking it. Uh, much more come from him in a couple of minutes. Before that, some words of wisdom, I hope, on top of these incredible words of wisdom over here. Um, they're going to be from our programme partners at Mishkondorea for your burgeoning business. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Uh, hello, my name's Greg Campbell. I'm a partner in the employment department at Mishkondorea. I've been practicing in employment law for 20 years now. And at Mishkondorea, we act for an interesting range of clients, unusually for an employment department. We act both for senior executives and for corporate employers. So we get an interesting view of both sides of the employment relationship. The most important thing in any employment relationship is to have clarity of communication. Most of the problems I see come from people either communicating badly or not at all. Uh, Most fundamentally you see this where people work with their friends or with people they grow to like and then a problem comes up and they're too afraid to deal with it. The only thing I can tell you is that a problem ignored gets worse and worse and worse until it explodes in a complete disaster for the organisation. If there is an itch, scratch it. Do not wait for things to become so bad that you have to amputate the limb. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday I meet someone shaping the world of business. My most fantastic guest today, though, there's the one and only Roger Dove. And you've referred earlier also, Roger, to my work, if one may call it that. But you are you are an artist, aren't you? I mean, that's of course you've yep. got a business and of course you've got your millions of ter- pounds of turnover, but that doesn't drive you, does it? 
Uh, no, I mean it's nice. Where does it fit though? Because well, you haven't. As well, you it, said, fit, you, it fits because uh, in the end I can carry on and on and on making things. But in the end, I have to buy the raw materials, so some money needs to come in somewhere. That's just a mm. practical thing. And, uh, and, and talking about creations, you you worked for other people for a long time. What was the tipping point for you going to work for yourself? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, the firm that I had, I worked for ended up. Uh, being bought up by an enormous corporation. I am about as uncorporate as a human being can be. I would say and that's probably a good <laughs> summation think, yes. of Roger, without and knowing I, you well. And I realized very, very quickly that there was no point uh, thinking that I could alter the environment I was in and understood for my own well-being that I needed to leave. The, the thing was I didn't know quite what I could do. And so I made a decision on Christmas Eve uh, in 2001, uh, no, sorry, to, in 2000, that I would not be in the firm by the same time in 2001. And so I left on Halloween 2001. I worked five and a half month notice. Uh, I thought that seemed the appropriate day to leave and started my own firm on November the 1st. Um, so it was because I was suddenly faced with people that asked my teams to write out requisition forms for pens. I didn't quite understand it. Mm. And I hope I go to my grave not quite understanding it. So I went off, I started my own firm, and um, I opened a perfumery in Harrods, uh, one of the first steps back into perfumery. The very first thing I did, in fact, was uh, I was asked if I would create a scent for a charity auction for the Terence Higgins Trust, who have um, an auction which is held at Christie's once a year. As most of the listeners, I'm sure, will know, it's one of our main HIV and AIDS charities. And I thought, it was a lovely thing to do, but I thought rather than making the perfume, what I would do is put up an empty bottle. So I knew the people at Baccarat very well and asked if they'd re-blur a bottle from 1925 from the Decorative Art Fair. They did. So I put the empty bottle up and decided whoever bought the perfume, I would create a perfume specially for them. And it fetched more money than anything else in the auction. It was up against a Mercedes sports car and a holiday for six people or something in the Maldives. So it was when I first realised there were people who really cared how they smelt and very, very nice for me, the person that bought its partner decided they had to have their own. And so I had my first paying customer. So I got back into perfumery with Bespoke. And at around the same time, I was invited into Harrods and uh, for a cup of tea. And they said, we'd like to open a perfumery with you. And I said, I'd just like a cup of tea, please. Because I didn't realize that um, I'd never had in my mind that I would end up with a shop. So I fulfilled my destiny as an Englishman because I became a shopkeeper. You mentioned the bottle there, and it, it, it strikes me also that beyond what's inside the bottle, the bottle itself needs to be a, a work of art yeah. as well. Oh, is, yeah. that, is that right for you? Yes, I think that uh, if you look at our bottles, the caps take five days to make. It's not continual work, but it's a five-day process to make the cap. The boxes are lined in silk inside. Uh, all the paper is copper plate. The boxes are made by hand. And I think that a luxury product can't be... What it, I think there's a very big distinction between what is luxurious and what is expensive. The inspiration for a lot of them are great, though, because um, you know I was invited to... I went to Russia in 2011 for the first time. I studied Russian when I was a child for about three years, for some strange reason. And I was given a private tour inside the Kremlin. You know, I've, I've lived this very privileged life that I've had so many wonderful experiences. So I'm merely walking inside the Kremlin, not quite believing that that's happening. And the woman who was showing us around explained uh, about the Imperial Eagle and why it had two heads. And so I decided that I would relaunch perfume I'd made for the Victoria and Albert Museum called Diaghilev, 
was the man who founded the Ballet Russe. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll relaunch it. And on the side of the box, it has the Imperial Eagle, which most people won't know why it's there. But lots of things in our company are very symbolic. It's because one day I was fortunate enough to find myself inside the Kremlin. So it's full of little anecdotes like that, my friend. Stay with me for much more um, about the Kremlin, hopefully. We could all do with knowing a bit more about that particular um, building right now. Uh, Roger Dove, my business shaper here um, with me on Jazz Shaper. Time for some more music. This is George on my mind with Ray Charles. The beautiful sound of Ray Charles with Georgia on my mind. I'm with Roger Dove today, and we've been talking about the world within the world within the world within the world of perfume. Um, and um, like any, you know, this is the privilege I have, which is that you talk to someone who's really, really loves what they do and really is a student of what they do. And I think that's what strikes me, Roger. And in your life, do you you talk about loving to learn? How do you fuse these different worlds? Does it just come naturally, or are you a bit of a secret grafter? I have always said that I don't feel as I actually do any work in one way. Uh, my work is part of my life, which might sound a bit stupid, but it's just a way of living. So when I go on holiday, I, I'm not thinking about work, but very often I'll come back from work and come with an idea, a whole concept for something that I want to, to make. So very often I can sit with somebody and just have a chat about something or other and an idea comes. I, I don't sit down and think, I need to think about. You, so the, and the team, that, that makes sense, and the team that you work with, how would they describe Roger? I don't know. Um, I, hope, I, hope that I, have, I hope that people would always think that I am supportive and encouraging. Uh, I think that we all have a duty to help the next generation, uh, to pass on knowledge and help people become the best that they can be. I was very, very proud that the Financial Times voted me as one of the top 100 people to work for, for allowing people to be themselves at work and developing that. Um, so I don't know, you have to ask them, but, but a, I might be delusional, but that's well, what no, but I you know, you know, the cr creative people, and I, and I put you in that category, but you're also a craftsman and an artisan mm. and all those mm. other things, they often have the flash of ins inspiration, but the flashes of anger and the flashes of frustration. Does that come with it, or are you not that kind of guy? I, uh, I think that if people know that I am angry about something or not happy about something, I, my, one of my famous lines is, that's a shame. Uh, if I oh say that, he just a, gave me that look as well. Yeah. <laughs> well I didn't even you didn't need to. I could just tell, Roger. <laughs> I, felt, I felt bad because you were disappointed. I think, indeed. Yes. So I think that most, <laughs> most people, if I am not happy, would know it. Mm. I very, very rarely, I don't think anybody has ever heard me lose my temper at work. I tend to become very quiet. If I'm not happy about something, I become very, very quiet, which I don't do deliberately, but I'm sure people find that far more difficult than reacting to somebody who's screaming at them. But you're obviously you're, you're passionate for, for not just, as you said, you talk about the next generation and you also talk about the, the, the making of perfume. You're an ambassador for the, for the great campaign. Yes. Um, is it fun going out and about in the world and saying... We hugely, make wonderful things. Hugely. I think what most most people won't realise is that we have this very, very long history in Britain for making perfume. Um, uh, in fact, there's a sort of silly anecdote, but somewhere you whiz by very often if you live in the south on a train. Uh, it used to be called Crozoon, which is the Anglo-Saxon for Crocus Valley. Today we call it Croydon. Uh, the world's best, the world's very, very finest lavender used to grow in Mitcham in Surrey, and it cost 10 times the price of finest French. 
So, and of course, uh, not of course, in the war, Croydon was destroyed because of the aerodrome and the munitions factories that were there. And after the war, nobody replanted the fields. So we have this really, really strong tradition. And, um, uh, you know, uh, all the old houses, Yardley, Floris, and so on. Uh, and it's all sort of disappeared. And what I'm very, very pleased about is there's this huge... Uh, resurgence or renaissance in British perfumery, very contemporary British perfumery. So when I was asked uh, if I would become an ambassador for the Great Britain campaign, it was really one of the proudest moments in my entire life because mm. you sit and do what you do and I have no idea that people notice what I do, you know. And uh, so the phone call came in, oh, we've got Downing Street on the phone, oh, we'd like you to come along, oh, okay. And so um, the thing of going and being able to wave the flag, I'm very proud that I'm British, and I'm very proud to be able to talk about the things that we do in this country, because I think we're quite a self-deprecating lot very often. So once in a while to be able to go and sort of wave the flag, and all I'm really doing is talking about what I do and why, why we're all good at doing what I do, what we do, not what I do. And what you do specifically, um, I, f I feel like I've been, I've, I've dipped into your world just for a moment, and it's fa it's fantastic because you are you have you've created a very rich experience for yourself because your brain, and it strikes me that also I meet lots of people, but your whatever one does, people that do well tend to be clever in their own way, and the intelligent the, the way you even articulate smell mm. is an interesting thing because some people might be good at making things but not very good at articulating how they've done it, but you but you do. The size of the business, from a UK perspective, you talk, I'm talking about now with your ambassador hat on, and you, you need a hat to go with the, with, with the, with the jacket, Roger. You don't really. Um, the, but the size of the business, just tell me, because I'm, I'm not clear on how big it is compared to the, the car industry, for example. Just help, help me understand. Uh, it employs more people, brings more money to the exchequer than the automobile industry. And you, within this industry, you're not looking to be the biggest. You're just looking to be the best. Yeah. Simple I, as I, that. We use, I, I have what looks on the surface as a very, very arrogant tagline on our products we put the finest fragrances in the world and i'm absolutely not talking about my work that is a, a comment on the quality of the raw material inside the product so yes i think that um for me luxury is a very very specific thing quality is a specific thing and it can't be maybe it either is the best mm. you can do it or you shouldn't be making it at all but then there's uh, maintaining that quality and then there's the sense of taste and I remember, I think it was John Hegarty, one of my guests years ago, said you can teach people lots of things, but you can't teach them taste. Mm -hmm. Your taste, obviously, it, it, does it move with the times? Yeah. Is, is there a sense that 2018 is a different... Totally. Scent, scent is, um, because it's cr something creative, it always preempts or follows a fashion. Mm -hmm. And in, in a book I wrote on perfumery, it looks, puts scent in a socio-economic context, which is a whole conversation for another time. And you can absolutely say in this period in history, this was going on, and it's reflected by this style of uh, perfumery. I think that if you are creative, the thing that people come to you for is a point of view. And so my sense make a statement. I've always said, when you smell something of mine, I don't mind if you don't like it. I, of course, love it if you love it. The thing that would upset me is if you said, that's quite nice. Because if you think it's quite nice, I've made something banal. And as a human being, one thing I will say is I'm not a banal person. So if people like my work, it's because they like the style and the statement that each piece makes, even if they're very discreet sense, you know, but... And if it's not for you, it's not for you. And that's the great thing, that in the world of perfumery, as the world of many things, there's something for everyone. I can't think of anything you don't like doing within your own work, but is there anything that you like doing so much it really makes your eyes even sparklier than they, than they are? <laughs> uh, 
without embarrassing you. But do you know what I mean? Is there something where you go, that's when I'm in flow? That's when I'm at my happiest? Uh, I think just when I have... I think just when I have time where there's no pressure, which, of course, one of the greatest luxuries in the world, I would say most likely when I'm uh, e- either teaching and I see somebody get it, somebody where, where the penny drops and you see that they suddenly sparkle because they understand it. Uh, and gi- I, I like giving lectures. I, I think the thing of um, suddenly being able to share what you know with people uh, is, is a lovely thing. It's been a real uh, treat meeting you That's and, so kind. and Thank chatting you. And, and some really funny stories. And I'm sure there were thousands more. And your, the book that we haven't read, that I haven't read on socioeconomic impact and, and charting the history of uh, perfume. I'm going to have to go and find that. Thank you. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, it's a song by Nina Simone or sung by Nina Simone. I think that when we meet someone, anyone, whoever the person is that's special in our life, that none of us really should have an expectation, although we all do. And I think that it sums it up perfectly, that um, this song is just something about something which just grows and grows, you hope, um, and won't ever let you down. And isn't that what we all might hope in a relationship? I'm, I've been lucky that I've been living with my partner for 43 years, and, um, and I think that it captures what I'm lucky enough to have in my life. Here it is just for you. A little love that slowly grows and grows Not one that comes and goes That was That's All I Want From You by Nina Simone, the song choice of my business shaper today, Roger Dove. A man totally immersed and at one with the thing that he does and loves every day, which is make luxurious, wonderful perfumes. Someone who wants a point of view, a reaction from anyone that smells his perfumes. Nothing worse than not getting a reaction. And finally, a really wonderful facet of his personality, the desire to share. The desire to share his knowledge and his understanding, his expertise with the next generation and anyone else that would care to listen. Really, really good stuff here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Rea. It's business, but it's personal.